Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Spartans live to fight another day. Michigan State holds off Penn State 60-58 to in what is undoubtedly a must-have win if the Spartans are going to do anything with this season. Were there some signs from hope? Well, maybe. Uh, we'll discuss that and more on episode 22 of MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. Brandon Champion with Kyle Austin here on Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. Hey, it's my sister's birthday. <laughs> Just saying February 10th made me realize I better give her a call later. Thank you, Spartan Confidential. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Matt, Matt is busy with some breaking news that just popped up, so I'm sure you'll see that on MLive.com by the time this episode publishes. Uh, but how's it going, Kyle? How was the Breslin last night? Was it lit? Uh, uh, no, it is not lit. Um, it was, um, uh, you know, they're not letting parents in again, uh, you know, which is because of the new Michigan State rule. So, like, we got, like, a little bit of energy for the last couple of games from them, from some of the louder parents, um, some of the more vocal ones. But now it's back to just us media, and it is, it is completely dead. Although I think they, I think they uh, amped up the fake noise a little bit, um, if I'm not mm. mistaken. It seems like the fake noise is a little louder, but that doesn't really do much for me. <laughs> They just turn it up slightly as the game gets tighter. Like as it gets a little closer, just, oh, we'll just tweak it just by one notch, one notch, you know, and then uh, that's how they do it these days, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't do much, though. But, and there's a limit on how much crowd noise they can have, right? Yeah, it's all, it's all by decibel. And, like, and it's all basic noise, so it's so different, too. I mean, normally, like, you've got cheering, but you've got the is-own chants, and you've got, you got all sorts of different stuff. And just the generic noise, it's, it's way worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's awkward. You can hear it like on the TV broadcast and it just feels weird. And sometimes you'll have the the networks will decide to pipe in a little crowd noise. So you have like <laughs> a weird mixture of fake crowd noises. It's it's kind of distracting, honestly. Like we all know there's no one there. Like just, just let's just hear the players. I, I like hearing the players yell, honestly. Uh, although I heard you I heard you uh, missed out on Dockage for a little while last night, though, so I'm sure Michigan State fans were okay with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think Dave Fleming said, uh, said uh, there's a joke in here somewhere for Michigan State fans. <laughs> and sure enough, on to Twitter, and uh, yeah, everyone had a Dockage. We can't hear Dockage take. So uh, that was pretty amusing. But uh, you only get that kind of stuff when you're watching from home, Kyle. You don't, you don't get that, those kind of experiences when you're there live in person. I have watched more road games this year than the last five combined, and it is it is certainly certainly different yeah. um, watching them from home. You forget you forget uh, what it's like to hear all the the commenters all the time. Would you say that it's? I mean, what what's now that you said that? I'm just kind of curious. Like, what's it like watching from home compared to being like in the arena? What is the what are sort of some of the pros and cons you would say? 
the biggest thing, like you get so used to being able to watch what you want to watch, you know, which is usually the play, but a lot of times it's like, I'm curious about this matchup. So I'm kind of watching that a little bit more than the ball. And a lot of times the shot, you can see anything you want, but I'm watching the bench a lot of times, you know, say a guy goes out, I want to see what his body language looks like on the bench. Um, If I'm trying to figure out who screwed up on a play, um, there's a pretty easy way to do that. You can probably guess, which is look who is screaming at, Um, you know, uh, or just some of the other, you know, there's a lot of other kind of little things going on. And, um, you know, the first time you watch it on a game, it's like, and on a TV, it's like, oh, I don't want to watch what they're showing me right now. I want to watch this. So you get a little spoiled being there. And I'm, you know, grateful that during, during non-pandemic times that uh, I'm live, uh, sends me to all of them because it certainly gives you a better sense. Um, and I'm, I'm sure, I mean, you go to games in person, any season ticket holder will tell you, you just, you get a better feel for a game and for a team when you're there. I mean, TV does a great job. A lot of the broadcasters do do a great job, but um, you just missing something when you're at home and you're missing something too, when, when the crowd's not there, because I can tell you, you know, we joked about the crowd noise, but it's, it's completely different. We're all, I think fans or players, coaches, everybody's ready to to get back to normal. Hopefully we'll do it sometime soon. Mm -hmm. We take what we can get, I guess, at this point, you know, it's uh, at least uh, we still get, you know, uh, at least the the TVs and our TVs themselves now are, have come a long way. So we'd still be playing at this point. So we're still playing hoops. Let's be thankful for that. Right. 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 We take what we can get. We take what we can make. That's for sure. So uh, coming up on today's episode, as I said, we will uh, recap Michigan state's win against Penn state. Uh, They also beat Nebraska over the weekend. That was a couple days ago now. And that was expected quite frankly. So not a lot to take from that, but I thought there was some interesting developments in this Penn state game. So we'll talk about that. Um, We'll also talk about uh, the big 10 tournament. Uh, We got news uh, regarding that this week about what the big 10 plans to do. It will be moving from Chicago to Indianapolis. So uh, lots of questions regarding the tournament, whether or not we should even be playing it. So uh, we'll sort of talk about some of those topics. If you could please like rate and review the podcast, it would be very much appreciated. Uh, tell a fellow Spartan about it or check out our work on MLive.com. Hit us up on Twitter, send us email. You can find all that stuff pretty easily. Um, would love to hear your feedback or questions, comments, anything you want, really. Um, we're here to, to interact with you and, and uh, share, uh, share our thoughts. So uh, let's get into it, Kyle. You were there last night. Uh, got a little, uh, little scary there for the Spartans <laughs> down the stretch in what uh, I don't think – at least in my opinion, I don't think it was an exaggeration to say that their season was on the line coming down the stretch there against Penn State. What are your thoughts on that and sort of what are some of your takeaways from the game? No, it it, it was. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I would usually not call an early February game a must win, but that that's the situation this team has put itself in um, because, it, you know, it's lost so many games and um, you you, you can't have losses like Penn State. Not that Penn State's terrible. They've been playing better lately. But you can't have losses like Penn State on your resume if you want to if you want to go to the NCAA tournament, especially a home game like that. So they really needed it. Uh, biggest thing that I took away is that really the first time this year that I can think of, um, may, maybe the maybe the Detroit game, um, notwithstanding, but that they were in a close game with four or five minutes left to go. And they made the plays um, and won that game. You know, uh, the you think back the the Christmas Day game against Wisconsin that was close for a while in the second half. They blow that. Purdue's obviously the biggest one, blowing seventeen point lead. Um, Iowa uh, one possession game in the last minute. Josh Langford can't make the shot. 
Um, you know, this team, you know, as Aaron Henry said, you know, they weren't making plays in winning time. And, and that's something I think every team has to do. Most Michigan State teams learn how to do it before early February. But um, that was kind of a, a box this team needed to check off. And, um, you know, they played well down the stretch. Rocket Watts hits a shot. Uh, four guys hit free throws. I, I did think they got a little lucky. We're all celebrating it. They kind of tried to give it away twice in that last minute. And uh, uh, they had the, um, the missed front end from Langford and the turnover. And, and Penn State just couldn't hit the shot. We could be having a very different conversation um, if Penn State hits one of those three pointers there, but um, you know they make more plays, Penn State doesn't, and uh, and here we are. So that, that's a step to take. I I, I, I want to I guess keep it in perspective. I'm not sure that effort's going to beat a whole lot of the teams that are um, coming up on their schedule, but um, give them credit. A win's a win, I guess. Yeah, I mean we don't apologize for wins, uh, especially in this <laughs> season and in this Big Ten. Uh, I thought for the first time we saw. Tom Izzo maybe shorten the bench a little bit, not play as many guys. I mean, a lot of guys got into the game, but, you know, like uh, the minute, if you look at the minute distribution, um, you know, you, you got guys, uh, I mean, Hogard 10 minutes, Marble only eight, Kithier only eight, Sissoko played two, Gabe Brown played 11, um, you know, 34 minutes for Aaron Henry. And then, of course, the interesting thing is uh, Malik Hall gets the start over uh, Joey Hauser which uh, I thought turned out to be great. We've seen Malik Hall's minutes up lately. He's got 10 points, five rebounds in this game, uh, a steal and a block, uh, or a steal and an assist, I should say. Um, I know you wrote a story uh, about this lineup switch. Um, what went into the, the, this decision from Tom? Uh, you know, to hear him tell it, uh, and we didn't get to talk to either of the players, but to hear him tell it, it was Joey coming to him and saying, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not playing well. Um, Malik's playing better than me. How about we try to change something here? Um, and, you know, I, I think you hear a lot of kind of the coach speak of like, oh, well, he doesn't mind coming off the bench. It doesn't matter to him. I, I kind of am dubious whenever I, I hear that because I think every player wants to start. But I, I do think things had gotten so kind of in a rut and frustrating for Joey that it, I can believe that he wanted to say, hey, I got to change something up here. You know, what can we do differently? And maybe coming off the bench, there are some guys who, um, you know, can kind of see the game a little bit first and then be a little bit better off. So it, it sounds like everybody wanted to, to change things up somehow. Um, Malik Hall, I think, had been playing pretty well. Maybe not big numbers, but I think he had been doing some good things for them. And, um, you know, of all the kind of levers that Izzo's tried to pull and all the changes he tried to make, it, as we've discussed, so many of them just haven't seemed to work, haven't seemed to get him going. This seemed like a move, finally, that, um, yeah, it, it kind of benefited everybody. I thought Malik Hall, really aggressive from the start. I think he got two buckets pretty quickly, um, kind of taking it to the hoop, rebounded pretty well. Um, and then Joey Hauser came out and had 11 points and, and maybe not a huge game, but after a scoreless 13 uh, minutes, uh, that was certainly an improvement. And it, it can probably help from the foul perspective too, because that's been his biggest thing is the fouls. And sometimes when you start and you pick up an early foul, it kind of just, it, it puts you right behind the eight ball and you're kind of playing, playing from a foul uh, mindset the whole time. And if, and if you can spend the first five minutes on the bench and, and guarantee yourself to have zero fouls at the 15 minute mark, um, of the first half, um, that can just be a better situation if that's if that's what you're worried about. And maybe that maybe that played into it for Joey too. But um, yeah, I mean it's it was. Uh, I think if you're a Michigan State fan, it was probably encouraging to see Tom Izzo pull a lever, make a move, and have it uh, have it be beneficial. And, and that seemed to be the case. 
Bingham also starts over Kithier. I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen that a couple games now, but but Bingham, I mean, nine rebounds, six six points. I mean, he he's active on defense, especially against Nebraska. We saw him jumping in passing lanes, uh, doing a lot of stuff on that end of the floor, and um, he seems to be for, molding into probably the best option at center, mm-hmm. um, just because of the way he can play defense. Um, a way he can affect shots at least he's he's a good rebounder even if he can't grab the ball like ever (laughs) he's still good at like tipping it out to other guys and he was drawing fouls going to the basket hard even though for some ungodly reason the guy cannot finish a dunk on an and one I do not understand what's going on with that but I liked Bingham and Hall in the starting lineup because it just it just sets the tone better than than a guy like uh, Joey Hauser who you, you mentioned the fouls. A lot of that is because he's not great defensively. He's not no. terrible, but he's not very good either. And he gets a lot of fouls. I think having him in the starting lineup, him and Kithier in particular when they were in the starting lineup together, they were just getting bullied on in ga- early on in games. And I think just having Hall and Marble in there while they're not like – it's not like a, a, a fix, an easy fix. I do think it provides a little bit more toughness from the jump. No, I agree, and, and probably a little bit more energy too. Um, and, and I think um, Malik Hall especially brought that. You know, like, like he was out there playing hard from the start, and, and they needed a guy to do that. Um, but yeah, I've 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 liked Bingham a lot too. Like I've I've thought even before this stretch, like if none of your centers are really doing much for you, and, and to me they've all had their opportunities at points this year, and none of them have really kind of taken it. Well, then put the dude with a seven foot two wingspan out there at least. You know, like he's right. got the highest. He's got the highest floor, so to speak, and he's going to just, with that body, he's just going to make a couple of plays a game that nobody else is going to be able to make. And if um, if nothing else, that's something. Um, and that seems like what they do. But he's doing more than that, too. I mean, he's had a couple of these long-arm steals, but you mentioned it. I, I love how he's going to the hoop. I've been waiting for him for two and a half years for him to <laughs> kind of just go up strong and get fouled, and he finally did that. Um, consistently you're right not finishing um but at least at least going up a little bit stronger and and drawing fouls uh defending better um and and choosing his shots a little bit better if you remember that saturday game he comes out the second half 30 seconds in on a baseline out of bounds play takes a three and he played a great first half before that i thought that were one of his best halves that he's played takes that uh three from the corner and you know just explodes takes him out for eight minutes and um, and, and that kind of threw the rest of the game off. So they're still working through that. And I, I think the story behind that is they've been trying to tell him not to take that shot for three years because it's not a high percentage shot uh, for him right now. So there's still some issues with him, but I, I don't know. At this point of the year, I'm ready to say you don't want to keep changing this stuff around with like 10, 11 games left. You know, I think at this point you got to say, hey, I, I'm seen enough. I think he's the best dude. I say you're rolling with him the rest of the year. Um, as the starter and as the guy playing key minutes and as the guy playing the end of games, which is even more important. And, you know, he, he goes up strong with a minute left, doesn't make the dunk, but makes the two free throws. Uh, you know, he's, he's a guy that's never been on the line in the last two minutes of a game needing to make free throws and credit to him. He made both of them. So that, I, that, that's enough for me to say he should be your guy down the stretch. For yeah. Sure. Four for four for five from the free throw line. I mean, he right. does have a nice looking stroke from the free throw line. And it, it is a little bit puzzling how his long range shooting never has really come along because in high school, he was a guy who could occasionally knock those shots down. But looking at high school, I mean, he was the, he was the, the prize of that recruiting class. He was mm-hmm. the highest rated player. He's a junior. Now he's the guy who should be your guy 
at the five, you know? I mean, like, that's what he was recruited to do. Not Thomas Kithier. He was recruited to be a depth guy, a bench guy who can come in and give you five fouls. And Bingham might be the most important player. You know, we talk about Watts. We talk about Joey Hauser. They need to play better, of course. But, you know, like, the, the point guard spot has been an issue all year. It still is, in my opinion. Foster Lawyer, he played way too much last night. He cannot defend. I mean, he just cannot defend in the Big Ten. See, I'm a little higher on Lawyer right now. I know you are, but, but, yeah. he, but he, and he, because he's probably – he might be the best of, of a bunch of bad options because Rocket, when he's playing point That's guard – That's probably fair, yeah. He's, he's the point guard. When he's playing point guard, yes, he's probably the best equipped to, to play defense, but the offense is stagnant when he's playing point guard. A.J. Hargard's a freshman. While he does show poise at times, he makes a lot of freshman mistakes. Mm-hmm. Lawyer is just a liability on defense, whether it was Sessions or Myron Jones last night. They were spacing the floor, and, and they were driving on him, and they were either getting fouls or they were getting to the bucket every single time. I mean, Izzo had to make that switch at the end of the game. I think he did it too late, personally. Yeah, uh, maybe he did, but uh, I don't know. I, I mean, out of that, outside of that one made shot, I also didn't see a whole lot out of Rockets. So, um, no. Um, there's no good answer right now. No, there, there is no good answer. I mean, I, I, I think you're going with the guy. He didn't turn the ball over last night. And, and I think that's, that's the biggest thing you could say for him. He's got the lowest turnover rate of those three guys. And they had 22 turnovers the, the day before or the game before against Nebraska and Penn state was the best team in the country. Um, or not best team in the big 10, I should say at creating turnovers. And, Put my box score here. Michigan State ends up with 11 turnovers for the game, mm-hmm. which is a huge win considering how bad that could have gotten. They could have easily been over 20 and they lose that game if they're anywhere near there. So, But zero um, points it, in 25 minutes from your listen, point card? <laughs> okay, it's not great. Um, but uh, they, they win the game. They hold on to the ball okay. Um, I'm, I'm just – if. If Rocket Watts plays 25 points, he might have me might have had six turnovers in losing game. I guess is what I'm saying. Like it, none of this is sexy to talk about, but the point is that he didn't lose you the game, and like that's where I think I think that's where we're at right now with the Michigan State point guard situation. Is like who is not going to lose you the game? And um, yes, the upside is certainly limited with Mr. Foster Lawyer, but um, uh, it, he he not great defensively, but they give up 58 points. I don't think he was getting. You know, they were getting totally torched with him in there. And, you know, Rocket Watts or maybe, may, I mean, we're on into what ifs now, but uh, maybe A.J. Hogarth does okay. Maybe Rocket Watts does okay. But I think you're much more concerned with those guys that they're going to be completely disjointed, have a bunch of giveaways, um, and you're going to lose the game that way. That, that's, I'm willing to hear other arguments, but, but that's my argument for Foster Lawyer last night. So Jade Nakins is going to come in and play 30 minutes a game next year? He could. Is that, is that what's going to happen? Because I remember we talked about this him. wave at the beginning of the season. We asked which incoming freshman was going to have the biggest impact. You went with Christie, which could obviously still be the case. I said Jade Nakins for, partially for this reason. Um, I mean, he could play big minutes as a freshman. And maybe, maybe the transfer portal is an option for point guard, too, if you wanted to bring in a veteran guy. It's funny. I was looking at the G League rosters this morning because uh, uh, I just seen which Michigan State guys were in there. That bubble's getting started tonight, and looking through the names, and there's Kareem Mane uh, down oh. there in the, in the G League. And I'm sure, oh. yeah, I see you rolling your eyes there. Um, I'm sure if if you could have given him a crystal ball and said you'd be in the G League on February 10th, 
um, he would be wearing a green and white uniform right now. And we could be having a whole different conversation about this year. Cause um, I think he could be a high level college point guard right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Christie is probably looks to me like the best player in that class right now, player who is currently in that class. So I'm excluding uh, Mr. Bates there. Um, but I, I think point guard is a much bigger position of need probably for them too. So um, yeah, maybe, maybe you need 30 point, 30 minutes a game um, from Jay Nakins and he could certainly, um, he could certainly do something with that. So I, I, I can see that case. What do you think has been the bigger, because I've had, I've been having a lot of conversations with people on Twitter about this and I, I don't really know the answer. We've talked all year about Michigan state, not having an elite player at point guard or center. What do you think has been the bigger issue this year in terms of leading to the team's success that it's had? Not having a steady presence at point guard or not having that big man that can just dominate inside? It's a tough call. I, I just think, or is it both? Yeah, <laughs> I, it's definitely both to a certain extent. Um, I, I just think in Michigan State's system and in Tommy's own system, the point guard is so important that not having one, um, I, I think, I think the biggest, their biggest issue right now is their offense and just not having any flow to it, not consistently creating good shots for people. And I just think, um, I just think the point guard, um, is the root of so much of that. Like, like I would love to see what Joey Hauser is doing right now with playing with Cassius Winston. Uh, cause I, I think he could be in a much better spot if it wasn't, um, if it wasn't so much um, for poor ball movement, trying to do stuff by himself, if he could, if he could just be put in better spots and you know, like, like their offense right now, so much of it is just like get the ball to Aaron Henry, have him kind of find his way in and, and take a little mid range or, you know, hit a floater. Um, mm-hmm. It's just so much ISO stuff and it's just so different from what we've seen. Um, yeah. And it's not all on the point guard, you know, I don't mean to put it all on those guys. I mean, there's other guys who could be doing more, but um yeah, I, I just I think the lack of a point guard is just so glaring for this team right now. Particularly when you're coming off a, a four year stretch when you had one of the best point guards to ever play at your school. Right. It was gonna be worse. It was gonna be worse no matter what. But you're going from like um you're going from like the best point guard you've ever had to like I don't know. when's the last time you can think of a point guard situation? like this you've watched him longer than me it's far worse than I've ever seen no yeah I agree I mean Michigan State has always had that guy I mean you go back mm-hmm. Kalen Lucas Keith Appling uh I mean there's on down the line obviously Mateen Cleaves I mean that point guard has always been Chris Hill you know they've had issues I guess before but they've always had a guy that can come in and steady the presence and the idea that there's not a player um, that is in this, you know, recruiting cycle that we've had the last few years. That is, uh, I think it just shows what Cassius was to this team, you know, more than anything. He, he just, he was just such a steady and calming force for so long. Mm-hmm. And I think that we forgot how important a point guard is to your team because of that. I mean, because and, he was just did it so easily. Right. And, <laughs> and the way they recruited, it's like, you think of how much they put on foster lawyer, you know, there's three mm-hmm. recruiting classes after Cassius Winston and you only take one point guard in those three classes, and it's mm-hmm. Foster Lawyer, who I, I don't think this is hindsight to, is twenty twenty. I mean, a lot of people were questioning him when he committed, when Machine State took his commitment. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know he scored a zillion points in, in high school basketball for Clarkson, but, you know, everybody else at the time was kind of head-scratching, saying, can he really play at this level? Does he really have the athleticism? Um, and they thought they could make it work, but to really count on him as the one point guard you take for the three years after that, 
um, you know, that was, there was a lot of risk in that. And I think we're seeing the, um, um, we're seeing that play out right now. And then, you know, the other thing that, that Izzo has brought up once or twice too, is that don't forget they had Jalen uh, Terry in this class too. Like he was supposed to be the point guard, the freshman point guard right now. And I'm not saying I, I should go see what he's doing at Oregon. I'm not even <laughs> sure if he's, do, if he's doing anything this year, but um, he, I think he was more of a true point guard that they were looking at. Um, you're going to look it up from here while I talk, but yep. um, he was more of a true point guard, um, I think. And I, I think that was kind of more plan a and things, you know, things got a little messed up there when they ended up taking two and he went, he went elsewhere. But I, I think they feel like the situation could be different now if Jalen Terry was on his team and that was the original plan. Yeah. Oregon has a deep team. They, they play like 11 guys. So um, yeah, look, just four, just under five points a game, about one and a half assists a game. He's playing uh, about 17 minutes a game. So, um, well, against Washington on uh, February 6th, he had 15 points. Looks like that was his season high. So, um, you know, who knows? That That's all – we don't know how he would have worked out. Right. But, yeah, it is curious how Michigan – or Tom Izzo has sort of, uh, in recent years, sort of gone after more combo guards or, or sort mm-hmm. of wings and scoring guys more so than just like a true point guard. Uh, I think he's probably going to be reevaluating that. I mean, Aikens even has some of the combo guard in him. Um, but he's list, he is play, he plays point guard. So, um, you know, hopefully he'll be a big lift. And, and like I said, a lot of people are speculating we might have some turnover with this roster this offseason. I'm not ruling out um, potentially looking into the, into the portal for another veteran guard if, if some guys do, in fact, leave. Well, obviously, we, there's no, there's, I'm not reporting anything. There's no indication that anyone's leaving as of now. Um, but with a tumultuous season like this, it wouldn't be super shocking, even though they haven't had a transfer since – uh, in several years, right? So, uh, but uh, would you expect some roster turnover potentially? The only thing that's shocking is that they haven't had any players transfer out since 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're going to be going on five years here, which, what does that transfer list get up to? Like 700, 900 players these mm-hmm. days? Like, like the fact that they've gone that long without anybody transferring out is astounding. So um, they're overdue. Yes, a season like this um, tends to breed more um, – more people deciding to go elsewhere. Um, it, it's a really deep, deep rotation where nobody really kind of stood out. So yes, we're not surprising me at all. And, uh, but, but the problem, like you got to find somebody too. Like it's, um, they look, they look like crazy last year for, for a guy, um, for a point guard. And, you know, I think they, I think they felt good about Kareem Mane, who we talked about um, at some point. So they'll look to do it. I think Israel would always rather have a high school, uh, point guard coming in, but look like, man. for example, what like Mike Smith is doing for Michigan or Sean. Yeah, I wrote about that they, this week. Yeah. They, they've both come in as graduate transfers and no one really talks about them because they're more like complimentary players on this team. But to me, those guys coming in have really is really a big part of why Michigan is having the success they are this year because they're just veteran guys who know how to play that have fit in with the system and credit to Juwan Howard for getting those guys and, and them for buying into the system. But I think you just see what kind of a calming presence guys like that can bring. And, and they don't, they don't need a 20 point a game score there. Like they didn't need a cash. Winston. You, you'd like to have one, but man, just a steady guy who's got to move the ball around, not turn the ball over, make good decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you could have a, a veteran grad transfer like that, and they, I think they'd be much better off um, mm-hmm. in that situation. And that's what they hope for, and that's what they look for. So we'll see. It would not surprise me at all, though, 
if they, if they do it after the season. Mm-hmm. Well, Michigan State improves at 10-7. and seven. They're now 4-7 and seven in the conference. And despite uh, uh, Penn State's losing record, uh, the metrics actually – say that's one that might be Michigan State's best win of the year Uh, according to according to uh the net that's their first quad win I mean Penn State is 31 in the net 30 in Ken Palm Michigan State's up to 62 in Ken Palm 83rd in the net but they have that listed as their first quad one win and it comes against a team with a losing record if that says anything about the strength of the Big Ten this year (laughs) yeah um yeah I mean it's those ones in Rutgers right there but yeah I mean that's um that, I mean, if that's your only quad win, I mean, that's, that, that's your biggest problem. So, I mean, you go down the stretch here and you, you gotta, you gotta beat, uh, you gotta beat an Illinois, you gotta beat a Michigan, you gotta beat an Ohio state. Um, and, and this is my biggest, um, thing with the team right now. Like I don't see that sort of performance out of them. I have not yet. Like, mm-hmm. so as I said the other day, he said, I, we're taking baby steps. And I agree with that. Like, like they look, they're better to me than they were right when they came off COVID. They're better to me than they were at Ohio state, but they're not getting, I'm not seeing that turnaround, you know, like that. Oh, it's clicking. They're going on a run. Yes. They've won two straight, but I don't feel like that they've kind of taken that leap yet. And, and baby steps are not going to get you to the NCAA tournament at the rate this team is going. You need to start, they need to start improving a lot faster and maybe they will, but I, I haven't seen it the last two games. Credit to them. They won them. Uh, that's good. They needed to, um, but I, I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing the NCAA tournament on this trajectory right now because they dug themselves such a hole that they, they, they need to be getting a lot better, a lot faster to me uh, to have a chance knowing what the end of that schedule is. Well, it starts Saturday, uh, home game versus Iowa, right? So home game of the uh, the fade, the fading Frannies. Yeah, yes. who's been struggling? I mean, maybe that's a game they can win. I mean, they they played Iowa tough uh, a couple games ago. Now you got them at home. Iowa's struggling a bit. Fran's blowing a gasket in post games. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, did you see Chris Beard last night? Uh, freak out oh, on God. the refs for Texas fan, Tech. Fan, fantastic! Yeah, he like <laughs> got on the floor and mimed something. It looked like. Yeah, it was awesome. I love that guy. He's quickly becoming one of my favorite coaches. Oh, honestly. oh! At the final, the final four they played um, was fantastic. The final four they do two days of just interviews, which a lot of times can just be interminable. But Chris Beard and Tom Izzo, like on the podium talking back to back. Um, was just like must-see TV. Like, usually Izzo was like by far the most entertaining, laughing guy. The only coach I've ever seen outdo Izzo press conference-wise for, like, entertainment factor was Chris Beard, who's just getting up there spinning all these yarns and making fun of himself and making fun of players. So, um, uh, yes, I enjoy I enjoy Chris Beard. If, if Tom Izzo retires in the next five years, uh, he's number one on my list. Um, because I don't really care how the team does. I just want a very entertaining coach. To <laughs> I uh, mean, if Chris Beard yeah, yeah. came to Michigan, and he'd win State, some games. Too. Yeah, that would be <laughs> that would be an ideal replacement for Tom Izzo. Honestly, uh, I think a lot of Michigan State fans would be okay with that. Uh, they're gonna have to pry him away from Texas Tech. He's the best thing that ever happened to their basketball program. The, so. the, ne- the next big blue blood to open up, I think, will go very hard after Chris Beard. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, anyways, that's that's uh, the Penn State game. We've uh, it's going to be tight for Michigan State if they want to do anything. Season not quite dead yet, but they have a lot of work to do if they want to keep that 
I keep saying it, 22-year streak in the NCAA tournament alive. Anyways, let's, let's briefly touch on another tournament, a tournament that Michigan State uh, presumably will actually be invited to. Uh, <laughs> it's the Big Ten tournament. Uh, the conference came out this week and announced that uh, the tournament would be moving from the United Center in Chicago to Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Uh, according to our release, decision was made uh, in collaboration with the Big Ten Council of Presidents and Chancellors, and it's uh, a health-based thing. Of course, uh, the entire NCAA tournament is going to already take place in Indianapolis, so they should have good protocols set up, a good good idea of what's going to be going on here. But uh, playing in a football stadium with no fans, <laughs> Kyle, um, it's going to be bizarre. It, it, it's going to be definitely bizarre, but um, it, it's the right move. It, it makes sense. Um, if you've been, I'm sure you've been to both or been to sporting games or both. Indianapolis is just so centralized. You can get guys in hotels and get them all walking. You don't have to bust out to the United Center, which is out in – out in the sticks kind of there in Chicago. Um, I guess the, the sticks women's... of Chicago. <laughs> That's it the first is. time yeah, anyone man. said that. <laughs> um, and um, and you, you're on the women's at the same time. And then probably not going to be the case for Michigan State, but for a lot of teams, uh, you can kind of just stick around there and play the NCAA tournament right after, cut down on travel. Um, so I, I think that I think that was probably appealing. So uh, yeah, it, it makes sense. I, I think it was a smart thing for them to do. What's your thoughts on, on the fact that the Big Ten is planning to have a tournament? Because this has been a, a hot topic lately. Mm-hmm. A lot of people talking about whether or not conference tournaments are an unnecessary risk because you're grouping all the teams in the same conference together, could potentially uh, have some COVID complications, and all of a sudden you're your stretch of the season that really matters most of all, which is March Madness is in doubt. Um, and, and teams, you know, that are already have spots qualified or that are already going to make the tournament would seem to be the ones that would have a bigger concern because they're basically playing for nothing. The big 10 already values its regular season trophy more than the tournament. Anyways, um, a team like Michigan state though, for example, could really use those extra games in the tournament to potentially get some bigger wins. So I guess it probably depends on what perspective you're looking at it from, but uh, what are your thoughts on, on, you know, the idea that conference tournaments might be an an unnecessary risk? I mean, they probably are uh, just because you look at a conference tournament, it's, I'll be curious how they do it uh, because it's so much more condensed than a big 10 tournament, you know, big 10 tournament. It's like play one game, you know, you've got, you know, basically 14 tournament in a weekend, play one game, day off, play another game. You know, Big Ten tournament, it's 14 teams there. You know, you're playing three, four games in a day. Like, it, to me, it, it, it's way more condensed and chaotic at a conference tournament than it is the NCAA tournament. So um, how they space those games out, how they get teams in and out and not have contact with each other, um, I, I'm sure they've got a plan if, if they're planning to do it, but it's <laughs> – It'll be trickier, uh, but I, I still think they should do it because to me, like you don't want to be the conference that doesn't do it right. Like you want to get as many teams there in. And if you cancel your tournament and the ACC holds its tournament and gets another team or two in over you, then, then you're not doing your members um, any service there. I think we've seen what happens when the big 10 tries to cancel sports and thinks that everyone else is going to uh, <laughs> follow their lead. Yeah, um, we already did that. I go down that road again. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think they're doing right to, you know, I, I thought probably a couple of weeks ago that it was likely that maybe some of these top teams would opt out, but it, it seems like that's probably not going to happen. Cause I, I think these conference officers are really going to lean on them to, Hey, 
you don't want to do that because there's, you know, there's money involved, there's a legitimacy of the event involved. And I, I think these, con- these, especially these major conference offices hold enough sway that they're going to be able to prevent that from happening. You know, I, I think there could be maybe an exception or two. Like I look at Gonzaga and they should absolutely be opting out. You know, they, in a small league, they're a thousand percent in the tournament. Um, they, they don't need that tournament at all. Um, so something like that could happen. But I, if, if any Big Ten team opts out and decides not to play, I would be pretty surprised. Well, that could be bad news for teams like Michigan State or other teams that are even closer to the bubble right now if Gonzaga opts out. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, Portland is right. getting an automatic mm-hmm. bid out of the West Coast Conference. That would be a, a bid stealer. So I think you could run into some issues if you have some of these mid-major conferences with, like, one or two power teams Uh, starting to go that route it could create some issues for the committee it could create some issues for some of these borderline power conference teams as well so it could have a trickle-down effect pretty much like everything we have seen this year maybe they should just make like 14 locker rooms on the concourse you know they can each have their (laughs) own and there's not gonna be anyone there anyways just have just put like curtains up and have 14 little locker rooms wide open on the concourse I think I saw football. I think I saw football teams actually doing that. Um, yeah. You know, like you practice in the stadium, no locker room. I I don't rule anything out except they're going to be running the men's and the women's at the same time, so there might Oof. be some privacy. Yeah. Through there. Yeah. That might be an <laughs> um, issue. No. Yes, that would certainly be an issue. But um, <laughs> no, it'll be interesting. You know, there was a point where I thought, you know, maybe a team like Michigan State, if you know a couple of really good teams um, get out, then it's easier to win the tournament if you're Michigan State. But I don't think it's going to get that far for them. I think they're they're still going to have an uphill battle. But, um, you know, if you're Michigan State, you certainly want the tournament to happen. Um, and I think you want a strong field because I think you want another crack at a, at a good quad one win. And I, I would still bet against them even – getting to this conversation, but the competition is always a good time to pick up one of those because you can, you can find a team, um, a top four seed that is not exactly totally interested in um, advancing to play another game when their NCAA tournament um, fate is sealed. And Michigan state has always been on the other side of this equation, right? When they're, you know, a two seed and they lose to a seven because they don't, you know, they have nothing to gain from it. Um, You know, they'll be on the other side of that this year and maybe, Maybe they can catch a team that's not super motivated and they need that win to get in the NCAA tournament. Uh, that, that's what you want if you're Michigan State. So you want that, that to happen this year. We've seen it before. Uh, I mean, and uh, I mentioned a couple of times, Miles Bridges, Cassius, Langford, and Nick Ward's freshman season. They were sort of that's right. uh, mm-hmm. on, the, on the, you know, they, I wouldn't say they were hard on the bubble, but they definitely were flirting with the bubble. And I think they beat Purdue, who was like the two seed in the tournament or something like that. Maybe I have my years mixed up, but I do remember recently when Michigan State, a team that needed a big win, picked up a big win in the Big Ten tournament, and that sort of put them over the hump. So uh, <laughs> it can happen. Uh, it has happened, and we'll see if it happens again. Obviously, this is a constantly changing situation uh, in regards to the season and the conference tournament. But as of now, they're planning to have the tournament at Lucas, Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, so it'll be interesting to track. But uh, anything else you want to add before we sign off here, Kyle? No, uh, just that uh, uh, tough, tougher stretch coming up uh, for Michigan State. And, um, you know, next five games kind of, you know, I don't think you're going to get into the tournament to the next five games, but you could certainly get yourself out of the tournament next five games, five games. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll be very, very interesting to watch. Next game is on Saturday. It's at two 30 PM at home versus Iowa. The game is on Fox. It'll definitely be interesting to watch after what we saw in the first matchup between the two teams. 
But it's crunch time for Michigan State if they're going to make anything out of this season, which has been a tumultuous up-and-down season, certainly one we haven't really seen in a long time uh, if we're spoiled Michigan State fans. It's nice to be comfortably in the tournament, but uh, I guess if nothing else, this has provided sort of a different look and a different experience for us fans. Um, So it'll be interesting to watch down the stretch as my dog continues to jingle his collar. We appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, Check out Matt's uh, breaking news on on the website. I believe it should be up fairly soon. And check out all our coverage of Michigan State on MLive.com slash Spartans. Kyle, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Uh, Good to talk to you as always. Everyone else, thanks for listening. And until next time, go green.